This is Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Monday, August 16th. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley and Pete Sampson. We had an opportunity to see a full practice on Thursday of last week. We've had interviews with both coordinators, Brian Kelly, a bunch of players, a bunch of which have been named captains. Uh, that was kind of fun on, on Saturday, talking to some of the, the, the new captains, especially, Tim, you'll talk about Avery Davis. But let's start with, we'll talk about those captains, but let's start with um, Jack Cohn being named the starting quarterback. No surprise there. Um, I talked to Tommy Reese about Drew Pine and his reaction, and, you know, Reese said that he could relate. That is, Drew Pine could relate to what Tommy Reese himself went through as a quarterback, but I don't think any of us are surprised that Jack Cones is the starting quarterback for Florida state. No, I mean, I think it would have been a shock if it was anybody else. And I, I mean, I think in some ways Notre Dame managed the announcement the way that it did out of respect for Drew Pine, because you have to keep him engaged for some of the reasons that, that Reese said, because uh, they don't, if it wasn't for Drew Pine, they wouldn't have a backup. I think that they could put in the game and feel like the offense could function yet. Uh, so you know, Jack, there's a question about Jack Cohn later. I mean, we have barely seen anything from him in camp. So it's not like we what we've seen would lead you to believe, like, God, this guy is head and shoulders above Drew Pine. But it's just a reminder that what we see is such a small sliver compared to everything else. Hey, our, our Jack Cohn practice was 30 minutes, and we never saw him throw a ball. Practice number one where he was the main quarterback. We didn't see yeah. three or five. And in six – I mean, he was almost preserved a little, I think, after that first – his first three-and-out scrimmage. It was like – that was all he did. I mean, I, I think they had made their mind up. It was Drew Pine's day. Drew Pine was doing a great job leading the whole team – or leading the whole offense all throughout practice. And I think they are still developing Pine that way because, as Tommy Reese said, I lost the job and I was the starter by halftime of the first game. Now, we don't expect that, of course. Um, some exigent circumstances affected Dane Christ in that situation. I think that, but yeah, you know, Cone, there's a question about Cone. I don't know. Uh, I'll have to, we have to watch Wisconsin film again to answer the Cone question yeah. until Thursday. Right. Yeah. You, you know, I think, I, I think we saw an example the the interception, uh, the takeaway by Maris Lea foul, and he threw two picks the day we were in there. And again, pine, pine, you're, pine you're saying what I say. Yeah. Him, I just want to make people yes. sure people don't know what's yes. going. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Drew Pine, and and I think his his combination of lack of size and lack of man, maneuverability compared to an Ian Book, you know, an Ian Book would have got the hell out of there and he would have avoided that interception. Pine stayed in there. Leofau kind of engulfed the play <laughs> and engulfed him, and it would have been an eighty yard return had they had they let it go. So. Um, you know, not that Pine can't run, but that's not that's not his game the way it, it is Ian Books. It's certainly not Jack Cones. We'll address that with a, a question in the second segment. But uh, you know, Tommy Reese said consistency. Um, if if what we saw on Thursday was was what has been typical of camp up to this point, well, then you know Drew Pine didn't show a whole bunch of consistency that day because he got picked twice. Great play by Bracey. Really a great play by by Leofau as well. Yes, that was an incredibly athletic play. If we can describe it better, Pine threw a ball with Leofau blitzing in his face. Leofau basically one touch picked it off in the air. I mean, he barely even bobbled it and was at full speed. It was it looked pretty impressive. Um, you mentioned Avery Davis and Pete and I were talking to Davis, and I, I think it was Pete that asked him. I was surprised he answered uh, the difference between Cone and Book. And, you know, we kind of led him down the path. Well, how about the scrambling when, when books scrambling and Davis said, 
the difference is when we start breaking, we might be breaking downfield now for Cone. Whereas with Book, you're coming back because you know he's going to stress the line of scrimmage and probably just go gain 12 yards by himself anyway. Right. So it'll be a look – he said it would look a little different. Um, and everybody knows that Book runs better than – well, really, And really, really, yeah, Buck, Buckner's, the, Buckner's the greatest running threat of the quarterback yes, now. for sure. For sure. <laughs> to, to, to a fault, I think. I mean, I mean, I think we saw – I don't know if you guys saw, but there was one time when he abandoned the pocket and Tommy Reese got pretty agitated by it because he must have seen something downfield or – Buckner didn't wait for something to open yeah. up. And, and, and actually, Tim, I don't know if you were there yet when we were talking to Tommy Reese, but he, he's, he kind of made a joke about, you know, he's got, he's, he's, he's trying to, he's trying to teach Buckner many of the things that he tried to teach book about leaving yeah. the pocket too soon. And he, he laughed about it. So he, he basically was admitting that he never did fully train in book to avoid abandoning the pocket too soon. But, and I think that that, I think Buckner right now, you know, you wonder why you see Butner rush for sixteen hundred yards a senior or junior high school. It's probably because when in doubt, he just took off, much like Ian Book did as well. Oh, I think Can't hear muted. you, Pete. Pete, you're talking. You're muted, Pete. I mean, it's, when I went and saw Buckner play, it's. I mean, he run for sixteen hundred yards because he could outrun everybody. Like, <laughs> yeah, just I, faster. I think I. The game that I went is. The first snap was an 80 yard touchdown run. Uh, um, so it's, it wasn't, I don't think it was like, I don't see anything open. I better run. Um, here, I think he's, he's running for his life. Um, in high school, is running because he felt like it. So it's, I mean, I, I understand your question of Reese or, yeah, I think it was Reese when you asked him, like, you know, is there a package maybe for Buckner based on his running ability? Like, his running ability right now is like, it's a crutch. Um, they need yeah. him to run less. I actually so asked, I asked Brian Kelly about that. Okay. And, that's yeah. where, and it was, it was uh, uh, somebody else that asked Reese about Reese about it, but you know, because, because there has been talk of like kind of behind the scenes about, is there a package in the red zone for Buckner? And basically what Kelly was saying was that it, yeah. When he recognizes, you know, when, when he actually recognizes what the defense is doing right now, he's just ad libbing off the, the drop back and running, which, which again, was a lot like Ian book. And I think that as beneficial as that was for Notre Dame and book, I think that they would like to avoid that. And they will with cone because cones not yeah, going to be one done. to abandon the pocket. All right. So seven captains, zero surprise, maybe less surprise about that, than about Whatever. the same amount of surprise as Jack Cone being named. We got the uh, captains right this time. Quarterback. Yeah, I mean, it was, I think, I think most of the uh, Notre Dame fans out there, pretty much had those seven pegs. Josh Lug, I think, is probably yeah. deserving to be a captain, but he hasn't been a full-time starter, and, and the position is represented. Somebody's – again, I have to go back to this. Why is seven captains too much? Are, are we just looking for something to bitch about? Are, are, seriously? I mean, there are, there are 21 defensive backs, including walk-ons. They have Kyle Hamilton to be the captain of the 21 defensive backs. There are 14 linebackers. You have Drew White. There are 17 wide receivers. You have Avery Davis. There are 16 offensive linemen. You have Patterson. The only place where there's two guys is the defensive line with uh, MTA and Heinish. And one of them's an interior guy. And one of them's a, an edge guy. So the right guys were chosen. Seven is fine. I think. I, I think the. 
I mean, clearly those are the seven that should have been captains. And Brian Kelly's had 12 teams, right? 11 of them now did not have a quarterback captain. That's a strange thing, man. That, <laughs> you wanna... but wait, book, book, book was twice. Book well, was 10. 10 of them. 10, 10. 10 I'm sorry, 10. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 10. Ten. One guy. One guy has been the captain. That is pretty that is pretty strange. And and I think, you know, I think it's, people it's, will react that that's kind of uh indicative of Brian Kelly and his developmental quarterbacks. I, I, I get that, but it that is weird. That is uh that's strange. But there is good leadership on this team. I tell it's, you what, let, let's put a positive on it, Tim. In 2017, when they got Heinish and MTA as interior players, you know, there's two captains of the future for Notre Dame football right there. Probably not, right? No, no, probably <laughs> not. But, you know, I mean, I think certainly in Heinish's case, for you knew he was trending that way, and MTA's earned it. Oh, at this point, a, yeah, but they were not. a little bit more of a quiet leader and, and uh, you know, hoping that – I will say – you know, he, he is a, he's a man of faith and it's being tested now with the sudden passing uh, of his father. And I, you know, I mean, we all wish him the best um, as he, uh, as he works his way through that. I, I think the interesting part to me was just like, you had seven captains, you would think there would be one repeat in there and there was not, um, you know, it's just like, it's such a turnover in leadership from last year to yeah. not have any returning captains that, that's a little bit of a rarity, but I mean, kind of all saw, we all saw that coming based on everything that was lost off last well, year's a, roster. Yeah. It was interesting to hear Brian Kelly talk about how, you know, a bomb could have gone off last year and the, that team would have been unaffected. And, I, and, and we saw that, I mean, we knew that that was happening. Whereas this year it, it's, it is a different group of leaders. And had, if they had to go through what last year's team did with a pandemic, it'd be a little bit trickier just from a total leadership standpoint. But I yeah. think my biggest my biggest takeaway from all the captains though was Dave was just Avery Davis and like Tommy Reese joked he was in my quarterback's room four <laughs> years ago he was also guarding Kevin Austin three years ago and he was a fumbling running or four years ago he was a fumbling running back that got benched in 2018 I mean it's it's his journey's incredible he's great to talk to now Pete and I spent a lot of time with him actually. And I asked Kyron Williams about him, and he couldn't say enough great things. And Williams made a great point. And, boy, what an obvious captain Kyron Williams is as a junior. Holy cow. Um, he said, I don't think the young guys know Avery Davis was a quarterback, much less a cornerback or anything like that. They just know Avery Davis is a leader out here. Like, I, I bet you the freshman class doesn't know Avery Davis's story. I, I mean, why would they? It, yeah, because it was all under the radar. Say, he was yeah. so buried. He was like – he was like, now he was never a transfer candidate. So I don't want to say this wrong from the outside looking in, he was a transfer candidate, right? Like right. if we're just that's why when people say speculate on transfers, we all are like, well, Avery Davis has moved positions three times, mm-hmm. but he was never going anywhere. I mean, that guy sticks it out more than anything. Guys, your thoughts on uh, what you saw on Thursday. I, I didn't hear you say this, Pete, but somebody said that you weren't as impressed with the receivers as, as maybe we were. I, I I guess it depends on how impressed you guys were. Um, Well, I mean, mean, you know, I mentioned four guys that I thought were did a did a really really good job. Austin is clearly a talent. Lindsey made the play of the day. Um, Colsey does an incredible job of uh, what what did Tommy Reese call it? Uh, Late getting open. Yeah, you know, creating space as the ball's in the air when it becomes a fifty fifty ball. Yeah, we didn't mention Keys. I'm sorry, Pete, but. We didn't mention keys and in instant analysis, and he did good things 
he had a late drop that I thought he should have had, but I think Keys was fine. Um, I mean, Austin, Austin was ahead of schedule for sure. Um, that was that's the most encouraging thing by far. And I thought that Lindsay sort of backed up all of the summer optimism. Um, I've covered, and you guys have too, way too many early training camps to like get too excited about Deion Colsey. Um, oh, especially because wow. Reese seemed to reference that he had missed some time, um, the he way missed, he answered your question about Yeah, him. I think he missed, uh, he did. Avery Davis even said to me, he's like, yeah, Colsey's a, a great talent. He's just getting back. Something yeah. like that. So that's so it's like, I mean, Colsey great. Uh, I, I wouldn't expect him to have an impact on this year's team. But again, it's, I mean, we've mentioned this on previous podcasts. It's like the staff feels like he will be a recruiting hit. Um, oh, yeah. Probably in 2022. So that's, that's a positive thing. Um, but to me, like, I, if I don't care if the rest of the receivers were terrible. Um, if you, as long as you get Austin and Lindsay looking like they looked on Thursday, like that, I don't want to say it's the only thing that matters because you need more than two receivers, but Holy cow. That, I mean, that is a, that's a massive. No, I, I agree because you know, that mayor's going to be there and you know that they yeah. want to use two running backs in the, in the passing game too. So now you're talking about, you're talking about five <laughs> legitimate pass catching options for him just, and that's not even dipping into your depth. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't like Colsey. I, I agree. And Tim and I talked about this in instant analysis. I mean, he's probably not a guy that's going to put up big numbers, but when you see just some of the individual plays that he made and the way that he can separate when it comes to 50 50 time with the football, I think there's a hell of a lot to work with there. There's one thing to say about a guy like Colsey. So, like, we all love Chase Claypool in his first ever camp, right? We're like, holy cow, look at that guy run. Look at that guy play. And then, it didn't happen right away, but it still wasn't a bad thing that we identified the amazing Chase Claypool as a freshman. He became amazing. And maybe Deion Colsey can become amazing in, in two years down the line. But I do want to say one thing about Keys, because we're all assuming Kyle Hamilton made some mistake. But Lawrence Keys ran by Kyle Hamilton like he was standing still for a bomb touchdown. So if Hamilton did make a mistake, I want to know what Lawrence Keys did <laughs> to make that move, because Pete, you and I talked about it on the way out. We're just assuming Hamilton took a false step or did something wrong, but keys ran by him in one-on-one. Like I've never seen anybody run by anybody. And you got to give keys some credit, right? That was a. Yeah. And we didn't. The guy by 10 yards. He's an all American. Yeah. He's continued to, he's picked up where he left off in the spring, or at least it appears to us that way. I know we, we listed the receivers that that were prominent Thursday. And the first question was, what about styles? Well, you know, I mean, I, I believe he's still in there. He didn't do anything. Of real he had a, he had a significant saw. drop on Thursday. Okay, right? yeah, well, there's, yeah. that, that counts. Yeah, it does. It does. He caught a touchdown, but it was seven on seven um, with Buckner. That's not the same thing as when you get in a scrimmage and have a significant yeah, drop because right. those are things they really are monitoring. Look, we, we give all the credit to the freshman running backs for having a great scrimmage and Tommy Reese. And we asked the line of questioning was, now that you've seen them in a scrimmage, he's like, yes, we need to see people do that. That includes bad things. You need to see them do bad yeah, things absolutely. too, and then you know that yeah. there's an issue. And we haven't mentioned Joe Wilkins, and I, I know that we all feel like the skill set isn't as great as the other guys that we've been talking about, but he had a great summer. He's done some things in camp, and he'll be there. I mean, he'll be there at the at the W position. It's just a matter of how many snaps Kevin Austin ends up taking away from him. Uh, last thing, uh, just a, a verbal commitment from a Don Schuler. Uh, defensive back, probably a safety in the class of 2023. 
I liken him to Justin Walters. I know that doesn't necessarily excite a whole lot of people because Walters was rated, I don't know, 500 something, but I think they're somewhat comparable. Um, Schuler is rated higher than that. I like it. I like his football savvy and the things he does. He's not a blazer. He doesn't have great size for a safety, but I think he's got a lot of football savvy in him. You guys, are you how familiar I mean, are you with this? Not too familiar, but it's like if you're beating Penn State head to head for guys on the East Coast, those are those are yeah. good prospects. Um, you know, it, it's is it beating Brennan beating Ohio State for Brennan Vernon in Ohio? No, but like you can put together a pretty good football <laughs> team with a, with a bunch of shoelers running around. Yeah, and it's pretty important too with when 2023 unfolds because your your veterans potential veterans in 2023 would be fifth year KJ Wallace who we assume would be a non-starter up until that point right unless he wins the nickel job if Ajavon would come back for a fifth year as a backup no true seniors and then the juniors of course we think one of the guys out of Walters and Carnegie will hit I mean they have plenty of time so you're looking at like a real turnover of safeties by the time mm-hmm. Schuler gets there you're, you have sophomores like more in Bellamy and someone's going to play corner, right? And Schuler. Yeah, and so he's listed. He's, like, he's, he's listed at six oh, six foot oh, yeah. right now, which means he's probably shorter than that. He doesn't play like that. I mean, I think he's long. He looks longer than that to me. But if he's listed at six foot, he's probably less than that, and that's not ideal for a safety. But and I, you know, I wouldn't call him the hitter that uh, Walters that we saw from Walters coming out of high school. Um, or, or Kari Gee. Or yeah, I mean, I, yeah, those those guys are a little bit. And, and Schuler's rated higher. Of course, it's very yeah. early in the process. They've only played through their sophomore years, but he's a good football player. He belongs in Notre Dame. Um, he needs to learn that it's called the University of Notre Dame and not Notre Dame University. But other than that, he's a good fit for Notre Dame. We'll be back. Segment two: Burning up the boards. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics. Segment two, burning up the boards, Irish Illustrated Insider. Question from Dude69465. Is this the best set of offensive playmakers in the Brian Kelly era? Tim. 2015 is the best set, right? Because you have a yes. All-American and Fuller plus ProSize. Josh Adams is a breakout rookie. Folston was your actual starter who got hurt. Uh, Brown, Chris and, Brett, Brown and Carlisle. Were Brown and Carlisle and, um, and Torrey Hunter was the up-and-coming yep. young player. Uh, and you had Corey Robinson, who was – before the season started viewed exceptionally highly yeah. going into his 2015 year um in fact somebody uh, we know had him as a first round <laughs> but uh you know this is it's interesting because uh like mayor kyron williams chris tyree lindsey austin i mean fuller just fuller ends that for fuller was coming yeah. back as the best receiver in the country, right? And for in my opinion at the time at least. Uh they didn't have any tight ends in 15, but um I think Fuller maybe is just a little bit too high of a bar. We're looking yeah, I mean at if if Austin emerges as a 65 catch guy, I mean it's still not going to be Fuller like, but no. it's it, it it would be pretty good. I you know, you also had LZ Jones pre 
Alizé Mack. Yeah, fresh, true freshman Alizé right. Mack, Alizé right. Jones, yeah. Right. I, uh, I mean, would you say this what this group is better than 2010? Riddick, Wood, Floyd, Eifert, Rudolph, TJ Jones. TJ was a true freshman, but he was better than we could say Keys right now, right? As a true freshman? Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you wouldn't say he was better than Lindsey right now, like going into that season. You, you would expect Lindsey to have 23 catches uh, for three course. touchdowns. Yeah, but I'd say yeah. Floyd is uh, better than Kevin Austin, right? Sure, like, sure. Yeah. And, I, and Rudolph, we didn't know Eifert. We did not know Eifert yet. It but does, ultimately – yeah. Ultimately, it doesn't matter where they rank. This looks like yeah. it looks like a group that could be that could be pretty darn good. I think if it reaches its capabilities, which I think it it has a good chance of doing that because of the five seniors, then it has a chance to be really really good. And whether it ranks ahead of 2015 or not, um, that's what they need in order to take this offense to a level that it just never could really reach last year. Even though the whiteouts got better as the season progressed. Next from Mac three four one. Who has caught your attention the most in practice, and why? Pete, go ahead. I, I'm I'm gonna I want to focus on some guys that we don't normally talk about a little bit because we, if we've talked um, about them, then they've emerged. You know, it's a, I want to see more in the secondary of guys that I, I wouldn't say anybody in the secondary, um, but. J.D. Bertrand at linebacker has caught my attention. Um, just so I, I thought he was sort of you know, more in the, that's, damn, I guess I kind of thought of more of a scout team guy this year, um, not up with challenging for reps, but he's, I think, proven to be more than good enough. Um, I, I'm going to be careful with this just because we haven't seen very much, but Isaiah Foskey has caught my eye in a bad way. Um, he, just, he did not do anything on Thursday. Uh, and if they, if they don't have that, a pass rush threat from him moving forward. I think that is, um, that's obviously a real negative. So, I mean, those would be two guys uh, in a good way and a bad way so far that have caught my attention. Obviously I agree with Bertrand. He's just keeps showing up for people that haven't been there. He's just exceptionally physical and he's around the ball. So that catches your eye when you watch padded practices and he's telling, and he's drilling Kyron Williams and telling 315 pound guards about how he walked their ass back. So that's just been kind of fun to watch JT Bertrand out there. Um, I think Riley Mills in a positive way. He keeps, I like how they're moving around a little bit. You can see him in the three man front of four man front. Uh, when Buckner was driving for a touchdown there at the end, they stuck Mills in the game and he kind of threw his lineman aside. <laughs> Those guys retired and third stringers and Quinn Carroll and some other guys, but Riley Mills kind of shut that down. Uh, I think in, it hasn't happened in scrimmage yet, which is all that matters, but I like Houston Griffith in seven on seven and one-on-one coverage. And I, We'll wait for the Florida State game probably to find out if he's going to go up and tackle somebody like you're supposed to tackle someone, right? Yeah, you know, and and I, I look at Bertrand like Kaiser. that You watch a practice and they're always around the football, always. I mean, Bertrand, even when he was when he was on scout team, he was around the football when he got opportunities. I want to say Justin Walters. I think Justin Walters is a good football player. I don't know how prominent he'll be as a true freshman because, again, you've got some older guys back there. Osafo Mensa. Not know Safa Mensa caught our eye or caught my eye in the spring, and I still think that he's doing good things. Um, I saw Ramon Henderson on a, a, a really nice pass breakup on yeah. some video that Notre Dame put out. Oh, that's a good call on Ramon Henderson. I think yeah. Cam Hart was anointed a little too early. Yeah, maybe, because we didn't see a whole lot of plays made by him on Thursday. And you mentioned Mills. You know, again, part of the – it's we were talking about – 
off the air about it's kind of difficult to track Marcus Freeman's defense just yes. because of the way he operates with his defense. And you can't, we both have had to cover defense now and it's like, God, I don't, I don't have enough to work with here to write something up or so. So I felt, but um, th- they were running some three man fronts partly out of necessity because MTA was gone and Justin Adamiola was out with a, a soft tissue injury. So you saw Riley Mills in a three man front. Now that's a guy that can, can transition very nicely to a three-man front because he's part big end and part, you know, three technique. I, in Aiden K and I, I don't know that he did anything necessarily on Thursday, but I love what he did in the spring, and I think that he's got a, few, a bright future, albeit as the the third teamer right now at nose tackle. Question: Wash for, in. Go ahead, Wash Andy. Do you guys still think Kevin Austin is going to need a few games to get ramped up, or is he going to be ready to go out of the gate? From all the reports on all sites, it sounds like Austin is already back to being Notre Dame's best skill position player. Tim, I want you to answer that first because you have said, you, yeah, yeah, you, I, I, I never said that, that he wouldn't hit the ground running. I didn't know you. And you, I get your point that you want to be careful with him and kind of ease your way into the season with him so that, you know, you have him when that tough five game stretch hits. Right. I don't think it's going to take three and a half, four games. Like I said, before yeah. camp started, um, Florida state will be a test in that he hasn't played in, he hasn't been Kevin Austin playing since freshman year, 2018. He wasn't, he was, wasn't back last year when he was out there. Uh, he'll be at his home state. Has never played there in college somehow, some way. <laughs> Being on Notre Dame, they play there all the time. He'll have a mental test. But um, best part about Kevin Austin is he doesn't have to be the best skill position player because Michael Mayer and Kyron Williams are the best skill position players on this team. And then Kevin Austin sure looks like number three to me right now. I can, I'm, not, I'm not tempering it. That dude can play. If Number, he doesn't have a good year, I quit. <laughs> There's no Larry. He if he's healthy, Kevin Austin is going to have a very good year. Yeah, no, I mean, there's no question about it. Like question. he he looked ahead of schedule on Thursday, which good. In the same way that Foskey was kind of like a little dubious by not showing up Thursday, like that doesn't mean the other eight practices um, that that was the case. So. If Austin is doing this every day, then yeah, he's way ahead of schedule. We'll see you for six catches for 72 yards and a touchdown at Florida State. Um, but the second part of the question, Michael Mayer is the best offensive skill position uh, talent on the team, and it is not close. Question from Any Davis too. Based on your extremely limited viewing, would you say the offense is more similar to last year's or dissimilar and a philosophical change to more of a Steve Sarkeesian slash Joe Brady playbook. There's a, I think there's a happy medium in there. There is, I, I think, think there's a happy medium. Well, like, <laughs> let's see, what, uh, what did the Steve Sarkeesian Joe Brady playbook, they had something in common. Oh, they had a first round pick at quarterback. Um, Notre Dame doesn't have that. Uh, they had a multiple first round picks at receiver. Notre Dame does not have that. So, that that would be a great playbook to run, but Notre Dame's material is geared more towards last year than it is the Sarkeesian Joe Brady stuff. It's but, it is moved in that direction. Yeah, that's a good thing. Yes, yes. But to say that it's all the way there, I mean, that's that's just different personnel gives you a different playbook. And this is the first time I've ever said this because <laughs> Notre Dame is usually better with two tight ends as its crux of its attack. They'll be better off this year if they can go towards the three wide receiver or two running back rather than the two tight ends. I think Tommy Tremble was a 
unique differentiator. And they would have been stupid not to run the offense they ran last year. That was the most obvious thing we saw in June when we talked to Brian Kelly that was going to happen. This year, you are got to convince me that you get more out of George Takis blocking in line because he's also not Tommy Tremble in space, right? You get more out of Takis in line than you do out of having a second running back or a slot receiver in there. And I, as of now, we've only seen one real practice. As of now, I can't see them that – I can't see that holding it. I think it's going to be more along the lines of three receivers or two runners for your uh, – what yeah, works best. Too. And, and, Pete, I think I put out a tweet about I thought they would use more 21 personnel, and then you you quoted some stats as to what they did last year. Um, I mean, this is based upon some conversation with, with conversations with Tommy Reese and how much they love Chris Tyree, and you don't want to – you don't want to take Kyron Williams off the field if you don't have to. Um, so, I mean, I, I just think that they have way more versatility this year because of the, the personnel and what that personnel dictates. Um, I, I don't I, – great point. that you don't, you don't have the quarterback that Sarkeesian and Brady had. Um, but I think this can work, and I think it can work in a pretty big way if – the offensive line can be consistent, and that's going to be a real challenge. Last year, they had almost 850 snaps from their number two and number three tight end. They're not even going to sniff that many snaps from their number two and number three tight end this year. I mean, you could be looking at 300. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, as I opposed agree. to 850. And I, and I totally agree with what you say about the, the offense they ran last year. I mean, I know I know everybody wants it to be more explosive, but when you wake up, on opening day of the season, and this is the personnel that you have, you can't force feed it. You can't force fit it. You have to play to your strengths. And Notre Dame did that. That's how they went 10 and 0 during the regular season uh, and got to the playoffs, got to the ACC championship game. It didn't turn out well after that, but that was still the route to go. And the route to go this year is to open it up a little bit more and let Jack Cohn throw it downfield to some of these receivers that look very good to us on Thursday. Along the lines of what Pete talked about, Rutgers 33 hot. Do you think Notre Dame will be able to generate a pass rush? Scrimmage reviews seem to show Foskey and Batello haven't had much success, even with Blake Fisher out. Yeah, I I mean, I agree with Pete. I thought that in the spring um, when it looked like, from what we saw, that Blake Fisher consistently stymied Isaiah Foskey. Now, the good news is that Marcus Freeman is a very good to great defensive coordinator, and he'll find a way to scheme sacks. Uh, check this out in 2017. And it was interesting because Freeman said this the other day, he said, probably the best thing that ever happened to us was his first year as coordinator in 2017, when they struggled because they tried to do everything Ohio state did. They had injuries and they realized that they had to be more diversified in their fronts. So they went from 12 sacks in 2017 to 32 in 2018. And it was largely because uh, they were a little bit older and a little bit more mature, but they, they tried some different things with three and four man fronts. And in the last three years, Freeman's defense has produced 32 sacks in 2018, 31 in 2019, and then 30 last year in just 10 games. So he'll find a way, but does Notre Dame just have pure pass rushers like they did, you know, a couple of years ago with Oquar and Kareem and some other guys, Jameer, Jameer Jones doing a nice job in preseason in the NFL. Um, no. So he'll have to scheme some sacks. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's the one of the weaknesses of the team that I think is probably more of a weakness than I would have thought when spring started, but that's just sort of where they are. There's not a 
a team that's blessed with defensive end talent, but that's what happens when you lose Okwara Kareem, followed by Ovindeja and Hayes in back-to-back off seasons. Yeah, and, and the constant talk about, <laughs> and the coaches do it too, about how great physically Isaiah Foskey looks. Again, here we, here we are again, talking about major college athletes looking great physically. That's exactly what they should look like, and his production needs to match how he looks physically. I see gold. How confident are you that Josh Lug will make the leap from sixth man to elite playoff tackle? Have you heard or seen anything about him beyond his health and conditioning being at an all-time best? Pete, you pointed him out after Thursday's practice. Yeah, I mean, he got he was called out during practice in a good way by the offensive staff and offensive players for the work he was doing, mostly against Fosky, I think. But um, if I think he'll be a good tackle. I, I don't know what elite playoff tackle means. I can um, that would probably be an elite playoff tackle. So yeah, that, no, no, he's not that good. No, I don't. I don't see him as a second round pick a, a year from now. <laughs> but a really good college player, um, you know, a guy that you can play winning football, a guy that you can win double digit games with as your as your tackle. I I think it's. I don't think we're going to spend a whole lot of time talking about Josh Lug this season, and I mean that in a, yep. in a in a big compliment. I think that's the best point. Josh Lug will be out there doing a good job, and. Well, there'll be a film review from Priester at the tail of the tape Monday. It says another solid outing by Josh Lug, neutralizing here to set up Cone's touchdown pass. I mean, that that's Josh Lug. He'll have a right. I mean, I, I, I give him a lot of credit because he just yeah. completely changed himself physically, and he had to. Number one, he was too big. Number two, his back was bothering him. And so now, from what we know, I mean, he's healthy and he looks great. Um, yeah, uh, elite playoff tackle. I don't know that he ever projected to that, but he yeah. can be a he'll be a very good captain-like right tackle for Notre Dame this fall. Jim Booney, CRS, uh, Jeremiah Usu-Koromoa seemed to be Notre Dame's best blitz option last year. Will Notre Dame have another linebacker fill this function this year? And if so, who will that player be? We saw a glimpse of it Thursday. Yeah, I think we'll have a few of them. Um, I like Maris Leofau. Uh, let's let's throw Koromoa out of this equation. <laughs> We're going to talk about how, <laughs> how they're going to do it, though. I, I like Maris Leofau as that, you know, hitting that B-gap on the delayed blitz. I think Bertrand will be able to do it. We saw him do it Thursday. Leofau's length made him effective doing it last year against North Carolina. He's stronger and better. And uh, I'm sure Kaiser and Bo Bauer will continue to be good at timing the blitzes. But um, Jeremiah Usu-Koromoa is doing Drew White this. does a good job of that. Drew White does a good job. Jeremiah Wusukoromoa does a good job of that in the NFL. So I think we're just going to take his name out of it and say they'll do some other stuff. That's this is like, it's similar to asking Quentin Nelson seemed to be Notre Dame's best pulling guard option last year. Will Notre Dame have another pulling guard in that function this year? If so, who will it be? <laughs> not, not in week Zeke, one. Zeke Carell will indeed pull. Yeah. <laughs> He'll secure a block. It just it won't may, be the cutest, yeah. prettiest thing you've ever seen in your life. It, it, it may be Prince Colley, but probably not this fall. Not this fall, no. Although they're, they're, he... He's I a, think he's that's out a there special ice. dude. He is, but like, look, they like Moala as a backup. They like, I mean, Pryor can blitz a little bit. Like, Kali is going to be a heck of a player, but I just think he's special teams this year, as long as Jack Kaiser's healthy, right? And you don't have a yeah. shakeup of the position. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the learning curve for a rover at this yeah. level yeah, he's has got to be so extremely people. significant. So, as long as he's out there and contributing on special teams I think he can be a, a I think he's going to be good as a rover or will or wherever he ends up but um, special teams this will, will be just fine 
Bill V, 6118, while overall quality depth has grown significantly under Brian Kelly, what positions do you feel are the most vulnerable if there are injuries to the starters? Obviously safety, but anywhere else. Yeah, safety would be pretty awful. Uh, I mean, I would tight end, offensive line on offense, and D-end and corner on defense. I mean, if we're calling corner, corner, Viper, corner Viper. would be particularly acute. Yeah. Yeah, you know, though, I want to look at it this way. Like, say Kyle Hamilton would be devastating, and Michael Mayer would be devastating. But, yeah. like, if Josh Lug gets hurt, they'll find a tackle. They'll find a way to play a quality player at tackle, if, even if they have to shuffle. Patterson if, would be Yeah, Patterson could go out there, and Carell and Spindler would then be starting, and it's not the end of the world. Like, if Clarence Lewis gets hurt, that's a bad thing. But is Clarence Lewis, Kyle Hamilton, you're not going from – superhero all-american you're just going from hey he's our best corner to okay well i guess we have to play our third best corner now so i feel like safety tight end and patterson is patterson a good one to say there yeah that's why i said patterson okay. i mean you can't just afford Pat- to yeah, lose yeah. him yeah i mean viper we all would have said viper but what if just somebody plays good does a good job at defensive ends because now we're saying that Foskey's not going to have a great year. Well, pass. I mean, you're yeah, but they that, still, but, you know. but they still need him out on, they still need <laughs> him to be point. healthy and on the field. That's Howland's good. 22, not saying Jack Cohn shouldn't be the starter all season, but I was just wondering what Cohn has to do to keep the job. Would it take a couple losses to switch to a younger guy or could someone take the job based off of just what they show in practice? You know, the, the second part about what they show in practice, that's, those opportunities are going to start getting very limited very quickly. Yeah. Um, you know, they're not, they're not going to be, I know that Brian Kelly gives the backup maybe more reps than is sort of the classic approach, but I don't, just don't think Drew Pine's going to have a ton of opportunities to go get him. Um, I, I just, I don't see Cone would have to play so badly at Florida state. I mean, like Dane Chris USF first half kind of stuff. Um, for, for that change to happen. Um, and I, I think it would have to happen like multiple times, right? Because they really liked Tommy Reese that year, probably yeah. more than they like Drew Pine now. You know, Re- well, Reese had had actual game experience. He had yeah. won four games. Yeah. Um, you know, Pine has played, I think, 15, no, 23 snaps last year. So you know, it just doesn't have that experience on his side. So, it, man, I, I don't... It would take a couple losses, but and then Cone would almost have to be the reason that they lost. I like the phrasing of the question though, because he really was asking about the process. Like, does yeah. do the backups now have a chance? And not not much, right? It, if Cone, unless Cone is poor, because Pine will get reps, but fewer. Now you really need to get Jack Cone seventy percent of the reps, right? Because you need him. This yeah. he's not Ian Book coming back with these guys. Um, so Pines will go down, and then people have been asking about scout team. I figure Buckner has to do a little scout team because he's such a weapon, right? I mean, he's the guy that challenges your defense. Yeah. If you think people don't understand this, coaches really care about their scout teams. Like good teams have good scout teams to challenge their, their offense and defense, especially their defense with a quarterback. Buckner will challenge you with his legs and doing stuff. So it's cone until he, unless he plays badly. Yeah. In 2018, I mean, Chip Long was the one that initiated the change of quarterback and Notre Dame was three and zero. so different coordinator, different situation. Um, way different situation, I don't, right? Yeah. Way different situation. Yes. I don't think that there really is anything that can happen in practice at this point that will change it. It would have to be Jack Cohn 
really being inconsistent in games, which is what Brandon Wimbush was, which is what created the change. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't know how Pine – I mean, Cohen would have had to have been really bad the first week to 10 days for, for Pine to win the job. I, I just – in practice, I'm talking about. Right. I, I just – it's it would have to be Jack Cohn not being prepared to handle everything that comes with being the Notre Dame starting quarterback, and I don't believe that he's he's that kind of kid. No, I, I think he's – the biggest surprise for me would be if Jack Cohn's incredibly inconsistent because the moments are too big for him or something like that. I don't, I don't know if Jack Cohn will be a great quarterback, but I don't think he's going to go out there and – have a deer in the headlights look for maybe yeah, more than one series need, at Florida state. Right. It's yeah. I mean, I, I think that he'll, I think that he'll play confidently, uh, but will he be completely accurate with all of his downfield throws? Well, nobody is. And we've seen some evidence yeah. in the spring and Thursday that, you know, that's right. well, the case, but, and on his passing chart from the past, we shouldn't ignore those either. Right. Caden MC based on what you've seen on film and in practice, how are Jack Cohn's instincts for avoiding the rush? Uh, wow. He hangs in there. <laughs> We've talked about this before. I mean, uh, the, the film of him in Wisconsin, he hangs in there. He didn't suffer a ton of sacks in the one year that he was a full-time starter in 2019, but I'm sure he had a more, I don't really remember the makeup of the Wisconsin offensive line that, that year, but I'm sure it was more experienced the than the one that Notre Dame is. Yeah. I'm sure it's more, it was more experienced than the one that Notre Dame's putting out there, but you know, is he athletic enough to, when he decides to run, take off and, and pick up a first first down. Yeah. He's just not inclined to do that. He's inclined to hang in there, make the throw and take the hit. Yeah. I, I thought that he showed some good things in the spring game, like climbing in the pocket. Um, but that's different than sprinting downfield, which I, I guess he also did in the spring game. Yeah. But, but climb, but climbing in the pocket I is like, really, really important. Yeah. I like the way he hangs in there, but not, he doesn't hang in there and like, I'm standing here and not moving. Like he can move around and shuffle around a little bit in the pocket. And that's, that's his mobility. Lighten Irish eight. How has Jonathan Dora looked? I have a feeling this team will need better production out of its kicker. We have not seen him. I got a little bit of an indication last week that he was showing a little bit of inconsistency and that's all I got. <laughs> that's all I have at this, at this point. And maybe it's not even, it may not even be fair to mention that, but I mean, that, that was, that was what I was told. Um, I still have a lot of confidence in Jonathan door. He doesn't have to return to 2019 form. He needs to return to the first seven games of last year form, which is just five games removed in the last five. He wasn't very good. Yeah. It was a weird, uh, it was a weird transition for Jonathan door to me, assuming every kick was going into me, assuming every kick was not going in. All of a sudden, <laughs> that's a kicker for you, though, right? I guess it happened to David Ruffer, too. Never miss, and he kept missing. So I hope Jonathan Dorr just keeps hitting kicks again. It's <laughs> not much we can do. We can ask, but we're going to have Polian in two weeks. Well, if Polian in two weeks, uh, if he doesn't give us a straight answer, we know he's not kicking well. If he gives us a straight answer, he's probably kicking yeah. well. That's... Pete, have you heard anything about Dorr, what he's been doing? I, I have not. It's, you know, we're, we're, we're completely jinxing the Thursday open practice to be special teams heavy now by saying we haven't seen much of Jonathan door. Yes, there'll be, there'll be a lot of that. Uh, uh, Irish, Irish cowboy ahead, 88. How do you guys think Tyler Buckner looks his overall abilities, but specifically his throwing mechanics and motion. I wish he'd raise his elbow up and go with a higher release point. 
I think he does that on his shorter throws, and it does look a little bit unorthodox. He did short arm that scramble when he one of the third downs where he didn't run for it. He ran and threw and short arm the throw. He had commentary afterwards pretty loudly in front of us. Uh, I guess we call that play. He definitely looked like he short on that, and it was because something looked wrong in the mechanics, but I don't think it was his mechanics as much as his brain was spinning while he was running away from a pass rush, and he tried to make a play, and it was not a natural play that he'll make next year. I, Thursday's open practice I didn't think was great for him. Um, I, agree, yeah, I agree with that. It's like when, you, when you're watching – like. I don't know if you guys do this, but like when it's one-on-one receivers and DBs, I'm watching the the matchup and then I figure out who threw it. Yeah, me too. And when the ball <laughs> sailed or the ball was in the dirt, I would look back and it would be Buckner. Um, so is, is that a red flag? Probably not. Um, but it was just not an awesome day for him. Um, I, I would like to see, you know, him get some more reps on when we're out there this Thursday and see if he, it, it didn't feel like, the spring game performance where you're like, ah, yes, I can see yeah. it all coming together. This was more like, ah, okay, back in the lab, some more work to do. The odds of him getting more reps on Thursday is probably yeah, less I mean, likely I as we move closer to. Probably not. <laughs> uh, Fred 90, predict the starting nickel and dime defenses. Thanks. Well, we've got a pretty good idea about nickel with uh, Tariq Bracy. So they, you think nickel will – we talked to Freeman about this. Freeman does want to keep the rover on more than the, does. Than the nickel. Does. So, like, if there's a threat of a – the best way to say it is, without putting words in his mouth, if there's a threat of the run, he wants the rover out there still. So Especially that rover. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Bracey is the most likely nickel. Do you think the most likely dime is a sixth defensive? Well, that by definition is. But do you think the most likely dime will actually be six defensive backs? Yeah, think I, I think it's way? Henderson. I think okay. it's Henderson. Not having actually necessarily seen that. I just wondered if it would be like Wallace. Yeah. I think he likes, I, think, I think Freeman would like the extra corner. Because remember, remember Brian Kelly talking about we need was it Brian Kelly? I yeah, don't know. They're need, starting to run together now. We need six. Yeah. He says we need six yeah. corners because you have to include the nickel as well. So that may be an indication that Freeman would prefer. What do you think, Pete? Yeah, I was just thinking what Brian. I think I asked Brian Kelly about Tariq Bracy, and he kind of made the point about how rare the situation would occur where you would have six DBs on the field at all. Um, I think you sort of get back to like the rover stays on. So, man, I, so I, don't maybe Jack I don't know if that's Wallace or Henderson or DJ Brown. I, I don't really have a good feel for this one. How about, how about Jack Kaiser stays on the field in the dime and we don't call it a That'd dime? That'd be fine too. Do you know what I'm saying? Like Jack Kaiser, there's three linebackers. Drew White probably comes off. And I say yeah. that because he has his whole career. And Marcus Freeman's challenging him not to this year. But Bo Bauer comes on. Tariq Bracey comes on. Drew White comes off, and you still got to take someone off. So you're probably taking off an interior. You're always taking off your nose tackle. You're taking out Kurt Heinish. I think I think they would stay a little bigger than go. I think they would rather have Kaiser and Bauer out there than have Ramon Henderson or maybe even KJ Wallace out there. You know, you just have your better football players out there, right. but you do make yourself a little better right. on the back end with a corner. It's, yeah, one of the intriguing, it's one of the intriguing things. We have not seen nickel yet, and uh, I do think we'll see that Thursday. Uh, 
DIP 98 thoughts on Tariq Bracey, perhaps filling the nickel spot. If it's not him, who will it be? KJ Wallace. Yes. And yes. I mean, yeah. I, I think that Bracey, I, I, Brian Kelly's commentary on Bracey was pretty interesting whenever he said it. I don't remember what day it was, um, but just basically how he was faking his way through uh, his first few years. And finally has added some legitimate strengths um, to his frame. I mean, he's not a big guy. He's never going to be a big guy, but you know, he had a pick and seemed to feel good about himself on Thursday. Yeah. It's, I'll, I'll sort of take Kelly at his word when it comes to Bracey. And that's, that's encouraging because then now you have three corners that you feel good about when the season starts at least. And Henderson is the fourth, like you don't know until you get out there, but at least just sort of have a good vibe about that position right now. Kelly brought up my favorite quote a coach has ever told us, Tim, the fake confidence quote. He said, Bracey had, you said he was confident guy. Kelly's like, yeah, he, he portrayed confidence. He wasn't confident in right. what he was doing. Right. That's what Mike Denbrock told us about all the wide receivers, except for Will Fuller. Yeah. Wide receivers tend to pretend they're confident. Will Fuller is actually confident. Yeah. <laughs> I I do like, I do like the move. Um, and you know, it's interesting hearing Brian Kelly talk about, um, you know, he had to come back prepared. Otherwise they're going to put him back outside and they, and, and they don't want to put him back outside. And maybe Bracey doesn't want, want to go back out, outside per se, but I, you know, I, I've, I've, I apologize. I've said this a million times. I love Bracey as a past defender coming out of high school. And I think, you know, when you're a nickel, it's, you just need to cover in short space pretty much. Are uh, usually on a slot guy and it's a, it's a bang bang play, and and I think that he's well equipped to defend like that. It's when he gets out in open space and has to deal with all the movement and the downfield push and and all that that he got into trouble. So I like the move there. I think he can play that position pretty well. We saw evidence of it a little bit on last Thursday when he made the pick. So it was a good move, and it, and it it's a way to just get him to kind of hone in on home in on one spot and uh, maybe get his confidence up a little bit in, in short, quick space. Sodak Irish fan, which game is the most intriguing to you this season? Uh, Mine is the first one. I don't know I what don't to know. expect. I mean, that's kind of that's how I, I – I didn't want to say that because that's yeah. kind of cliche. But it, it wasn't kinda, last year. Duke was not in, the most intriguing last no, year. <laughs> this I, is the most intriguing this year. It's, it's kind of how I feel because I know that Florida State has added – you know, they added pass rushers from South Carolina and Georgia that are established, that are good. So they're going, they're going to, they had nowhere to go, but up defensively because they were lousy last year. And so that, that'll make a difference, but going there on the road, heat, humidity, night, Sunday night, and then short turnaround coming back to, I, you know, I, I have to agree. I, I mean, that's the one that we always say, right. The first game of the year is very telling for Notre Dame under Brian Kelly. And I think that that one will be as well. I would go, yeah, I mean, yes, Florida State. I'd, I'd go Cincinnati. I just, the timing of it is weird coming off the Wisconsin game. There's just a million different threads to pull with that. With Kelly, Freeman, Denrock, Mickens. Uh, it's just Especially really Freeman, across though. the board. I mean, the threads yeah, with Freeman make like, it way better. Ima- imagine how that, at, like, let's say Notre Dame loses to Wisconsin. And then they come back and play Cincinnati, who's a top 10 team. Just the atmosphere of that game is going to be charged. Um, it could be tight. 
you know, it could be a breakout performance from Notre Dame. Like, it's just going to be a very high-stakes game uh, for Notre Dame where that could get the season spinning towards, like, they're in the playoff chase for the rest of the way or or they struggle. I, I don't know. There's just – I think the stakes of the Cincinnati game could be very, very high. What if Notre Dame plays Cincinnati game four, right? What if they play game four like they five. play game five? five. Is it, okay, that's five. Okay. Yep. Well, what if they have a game like Louisville? I mean, I, th- this the notion game. that there's no way Cincinnati can beat Notre Dame. Yes, there is. Cincinnati is a very good football team. If Notre Dame doesn't play well, they can lose that game. I'm intrigued by – I'm still intrigued by North Carolina because everybody wants to say they lost their two running backs, they lost their two receivers, yeah. and they're way overrated. And I, and I get it from the standpoint that – they have lost, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, they've lost 10 times in the last two years. So they don't fully know how to win consistently or to win big games. But I am telling everybody, North Carolina has plenty of offensive weapons. That's not going to be a problem. And, oh, by the way, they have a quarterback that could win the Heisman and be the first quarterback chosen in the draft. I think Cone versus Wisconsin is a fun Subplot. I know. I like what I like when you're looking for a trouble spot, like a uh oh situation that we're overlooking. Cincinnati's there, and I think Cone, the subplot of Cone going back. Let's Cone four and zero oh in Wisconsin, or three and zero oh Wisconsin. Notre Dame's ranked six. Wisconsin's thirteen. It's a bit's a pretty cool. That's a pretty good thing. I mean, that, that'll is. be fun. So those are all intriguing yeah. games. Maybe Toledo and Purdue aren't less, don't exactly fall less. into that category, but there are. Several, especially within that five-game stretch, it'll be really, really interesting. This from Michael, 72-58-09-01. Based on what you've seen so far, what is the two-deep depth chart at receiver, O-line, linebacker, and corner? <laughs> I'll take – What about the box scores for all 12 games? We can, break it down fast. we can break down O-line fast, though. I don't know what the depth – the depth chart will probably have Carmody at left and Baker at right. Yes. Um, with the guard mm-hmm. to be named later, other than Spindler with Christophic at center. But probably. It's like Dirksen, though, right? Dirksen, Dirksen would be yeah. there right now with But the reality of the depth chart is a tackle gets injured. You're not 100% sure who'll come in. A guard gets injured. You're sure it'll be Spindler. And a center gets injured, and Corral jumps over, and Spindler comes in. To well, if right? a tackle gets hurt, Baker comes in. Immediately on the left, you think? Uh, well, he does mm-hmm. have. Ex- because Carmody's, you know, uh, yeah, because well. Carmody's worked there, but Baker has some yep. experience playing there. I don't know. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I Baker, I don't know. Uh, linebacker is, I mean, I think it'll be White, Leofau, and Kaiser with uh, yep. some combination of Bauer and Bertrand be, between the two inside linebackers and uh, Prior behind uh, Kaiser Rover. I think and then it, I wouldn't be surprised if it was Moala actually. Yeah. I think I think Moala is your number two rover. Okay, all right. If when he's when he's all the way, up, which right. I mean, we right haven't now. we we just we saw know. a real yes. glimp, glimpse of him the other day, and then a corner. Uh, it's Lewis and Hart starting, and uh, Henderson, I believe, is working at field cornerback behind Lewis, and then Bracy, I guess, would still be the would would be the backup to to Cam Hart. But that's where Kelly wants three two backups across the board. So it'll be interesting if. If he can get another backup, so Bracey doesn't isn't what? a backup. I know he backup. Needs, he needs one of those freshmen to. Yeah. He, he, whether it's Riley or Barnes, he needs one of those guys to, 
to, to step forward. And, and then wide receiver, this is the first year, I think, where you're too deep. It's not a too deep as much as Austin and Davis and probably Lindsey. And after that, Keys and Wilkins, right? Is that like almost not those would be the top five, and then yeah. Styles would be, you know, Styles is working at X uh, behind Lindsey. So I would think that at least the other day. So I would think that, um, and he was here in the spring. You know that that was yeah that helps. And then Colsey's. So really, I mean, I you know I get the whole thing about Colsey. I mean, he's probably seventh in the the pecking order. Yeah, and I guess uh, I mean we don't know like Watts got hurt during practice. Yeah, um, when we were there on Thursday, we don't really know the yeah, significance so know of that moving is. forward. Yeah. Okay, we will conclude with a question from DMB three four six, and that is: Notre Dame's offensive points per game over under thirty two and a half, and then defensive points per game allowed over under eighteen. If they're not over on the offensive one. Um, Man, that would be bad. That would be a bad sign for how the season went. They've got to, they've got to be over 32 and a half offensively. Yeah, over, I, I would bet a healthy amount. I mean, that would be 32 and a half last year came in 38th nationally. That was Georgia and Texas A&M. A little higher than I thought it was. Those are a little better teams than I thought they were going to be, actually, when I looked this up. But also a weird year last year for stats. But uh, 32 and a half over only one point, one point less than Notre Dame scored last year. That is a, this number is a little better than I thought it was. Yeah, but you but know how over. averages are. I mean, what, what do averages really mean when you, yeah, well, when like you the, can't score against Clemson and Alabama in the postseason? I mean, no, the averages right. are pretty meaningless, but I will say this, um, you know, and there is, there's always some carryover from the previous year. Last year's scoring defense is Georgia Tech. 109th, Florida State, 105th, Virginia Tech, 82nd, Stanford, 77th, Navy, 72nd, Purdue, 67th. You know, even North Carolina, you know, they were only 64. So basically, you know, seven of your opponents, Virginia was 66. So basically, eight, eight of your 12 opponents were on the back half in the country defensively and scoring defense. So, uh, but again, it'll come down to how many do you score against Cincinnati? the number eight scoring defense in the country last year. How many do you score against Wisconsin, the number nine scoring defense in the country last year? And then just the, you know, the bigger games, you might have to outscore North Carolina. You might have to outscore USC. And you're right about the average because Notre Dame scored 20, <laughs> 23 points in the postseason last year in two games. You don't draw Clemson and Alabama, Notre Dame averages more points. Yeah. That's three points per quarter yeah. against uh, Clemson and Alabama in the postseason. So not quite good enough. All right, guys. Hey, that was it. We had a nice variety of questions. We appreciate it. And we appreciate our listeners joining us here on Irish Illustrated Insider.